This morning we are looking at the shepherds. So Luke chapter 2, verses 18 to 14. Looking at the shepherds. Luke chapter 2, verses 18, 8 to 14. There were shepherds camping in the neighborhood. They had set night watches over their sheep. Suddenly God's angels stood among them, and God's glory blazed around them. They were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. A Savior has just been born in David's town, a Savior who is Messiah and Master. This is what you're to look for, a baby wrapped in a blanket and lying in a manger. At once the angel was joined by a huge angelic choir singing God's praises, glory to God in the, high, in the heavenly heights, peace to all men and women on earth who please him. So here we have this humblest of circumstances of Christ's beginning, this stable, this manger, and it is met by a great balance of his glory because they have the angels. So even here in the humblest of places that Jesus is born, God did something of great measure to exalt him. And it, and it in some ways points to the future exaltation of Jesus. So as we, as we look at what, it's always interesting to see how that God is at work in our lives and how that God doesn't do things just in the moment. Okay? It isn't just a momentary thing. We have in the Old Testament, we have all these prophecies about a Messiah coming. And then we, when our Sunday school lesson today, we did about, we spoke about John the Baptist and his, um, his birth. And, you know, his mother who was uh, older and she was barren and how that she became pregnant. And Zechariah kind of laughed at the angel. <laughs> this can't happen to my wife and I. And he was struck deaf and dumb and he couldn't speak or hear until the baby was born until the baby was named so we have a lot of events going on and declaring about the birth of christ and then some of the things that happen at the time of the birth also signify something that is yet to happen in our future so it's very interesting for us to know that everything that's going on at this moment isn't everything there is Everything that's going on at this moment is, isn't all that your life is about. Because it's tied with the events of the past. It's tied to where we are at. But it is also tied to promises and to what God will do in our future. So we're not caught up in the extravagance of the moment or in the downcast of the moment. We are caught in the promises. We are to recognize the promises of God at work in our life to help us let go of the past and forgiveness, the bad parts, to learn from them and to allow the Spirit of God to speak to us in the present and then in the present experience hope and anticipation for tomorrow. Because our life isn't now. Our life is now and tomorrow. Our life is a, is a plan, is a purpose, and how that God is at work. And in our text, or in verses 6 and 7 of this, of, this, of this text, of these scriptures, Jesus is wrapped in strips of rags, swaddling clothes in the King James Version, and he's laid in a manger, a hewed-out stone trough, and 
It doesn't seem like it can get any worse than that, than that we would think in those moments that perhaps, you know, is this really the Son of God? Coming to us in a manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes. But those who made the announcement did not send out baby cards. <laughs> Hello, it's a boy. <laughs> and they, they didn't pass out cigars, it's a boy. Imagine the angels running around with cigars and play, it's a boy. <laughs> yeah. and, on, on, and, and on the card it says, go to Bethlehem, see child in a manger. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Live performance tonight at the church. <laughs> The church of the manger, you know. So the angels announcing his birth did so as appearing. Uh, I like the, the, the message Bible that we just read, that the shepherds were gathered around and the angel appeared among them. Can you imagine an angel just appearing between you? You know, look at the person beside you and say, are you the angel? I was going to say, look at the person beside you and say, you're no angel. But no, I didn't, I didn't say that, you know. <laughs> I didn't say that. I said, oh, are you the angel? <laughs> yeah. And it's like there's this, this, this angel appears among them and says, don't be afraid. <laughs> They're scared to death. Don't be afraid. I'm here. What for? To announce great and joyful event that is for everyone worldwide. A Savior has just been born in David's town. A savior, a messiah, a master. This is what you're going to look for. A babe wrapped in a blanket. At once, the angel was joined by a huge angelic choir. So, in, it's like we have this barn and a stable and very poor people wrapping an infant child in strips of rags or an old blanket and laying them in a feed trough. And alongside of that, you've got the angels of heaven, a great multitude of angels of heaven declaring glory to God in the highest. It's like, wow, what extremes. Well, who, do, who is the audience? You know, this is, this is when we're thinking about shepherds and I was thinking about this this week and how we, you know, how to look at this, and this is what I came up with. No, it's God who came up with this, and He told me to tell you this. So if you don't like it, you can talk to God about it. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> you know, when it's really good, it's God, and if it's really bad, that preacher he don't know what he's talking about. You know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so that's how it works. You know, and if I take all the glory, you know that it's. But anyhow. Anyhow, the shepherd is where we're looking at. And it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. If you were, going, if you were God, if you were God, you know, sometimes whenever people get really upset, you know, when I go to heaven, I'm going to ask God this, and I'm going to ask God that. And if I were God, I would do it differently. Okay? If you were God, and Christ were coming to be born in a manger, who would you have the announcement made to? I mean, you know, who are you going to make this important announcement to? Why not send them to the angels, to the temple, to the priests? Hey, priests, straighten up. The Messiah is coming. 
(laughs) The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You're not going to have to sacrifice these animals anymore. The angels are making this announcement. Wow, they could have changed the whole religious system. How about Caesar? (laughs) Imagine that, breaking in in Rome. Announce the angels. The angels come and, hey, Caesar, whoa, wake him up at night. Tell him to get the armies of Rome to back off from the persecution of the Jewish people in, in Israel and especially in Jerusalem. You know, back off. We got this, you know, the angels come there and make this declaration. Well, <laughs> you imagine what would happen if uh, this went around, knocked on every door and says, hey, there's a baby born in the stable here and he's going to be the Messiah. And the angels went around and made that declaration. But instead, what does God do? <clears throat> when you think you have God figured out, you let me know, okay? <laughs> what does God do? He goes to shepherds. Well, these are kind of rough characters, and uh, they are laborers who perform the tedious task that basically no one else is willing to do. These are shepherds who appear to be ragged and smelly, when we were in Israel, um, we stopped. There were these, and, and the tour guide, I remember saying, it was very unusual to see shepherds, uh, their tents, off to the side of the road. Usually they were back off the road somewhere where you could never see them. And um, we stopped the bus. The, the tour guide stopped the bus. We pulled off to the side, and there were these three tents. And it was one guy... He had a wife for each tent. You knew how many wives he had by how many tents he had. Okay. And so the, all the kids come running up to the tour bus. And they come up and they want, you know, they, you know whatever you got, they're, they're willing to take. But the thing I noticed was it was, like, it was like being with the sheep again. They, you could not tell the difference in smell between a sheep and the kids. Because the sheep and the kids and everybody were so intermingled. And so whenever we're thinking, you know, it is like they smelled like the sheep. Because that's where they lived. And they didn't have, you know, extravagant water. I mean, to take a bath out in the desert was a waste of water. If you wanted to clean your pots and pans for the meal, you used sand. You just took the sand and rubbed it on there, you know, this non-stick surface. I wonder how long that would last out in the desert. (laughs) But they would just take the sand and rub it around their pots and pans, and they were clean. Never use water. Water's too precious. You you either drink, you you have it to drink, not bathe in. So anyhow... The shepherds were like this. They would have been these individuals that were um, smelly, rugged individuals. Shepherding is among one of the oldest occupations. Some 6,000 years ago in Asia Minor, shepherds came on the scene. And later on, we have shepherds were, or sheep were integrated into the family farms in which there were, you know, animals, chickens and pigs and sheep. When I was growing up as a kid, We had that, chickens, pigs, and cows, and sheep on the farm. But whenever farming became uh, more uh, animal-intensive, you know, if you were going to have milk, 
you couldn't have any other animals within a certain distance of the barn. So everything went except the cows. And so we had all these sheep, and they were always running around, and they were part of the yard and whatever, and never knew where they were at. And of course, there was the ram, and you never want to turn your back on him, because he just somehow planted you right in the backside. <laughs> I remember one time I was, uh, I was tired of him butting you, and when he hit you, boy, you went flying. So I remember getting a bushel basket, putting over his head, snucking up behind, put it on his head, and I started running for the house. I didn't make it. <laughs> he planted me. And uh, I never forgot that one. So I never put a bucket over his head again. Uh, but anyhow, sheep are these individuals. Then I mean, these shepherds are individuals that would take care of sheep. And there were many different kinds of shepherds. I mean, primarily a shepherd was an individual who was responsible for taking care of sheep. And in olden times, and I didn't realize this, that they would milk the sheep. Do you know that, Cliff? They milked sheep. I never thought of milking a sheep. But anyhow, they would milk sheep, and they would make cheese from the milk, and, then only, and only uh, some shepherds uh, still, still do this type of uh, watching over their sheep today. In many societies, shepherds were an important part. Unlike farmers, shepherds were often wage earners because the families were small enough or large enough. If, generally, if you were the youngest child, you got to go like David whenever he was, um, when Samuel came to anoint um, his, you know, the children, find out which one was going to be next in line for king. Uh, you know, they all went before the prophet, but David wasn't there. Why? Because he was out watching sheep. So the youngest one, me, when the family was always responsible to go watch the cows, go watch the sheep, Go, go wherever. And the sheep were not animals that you kept in the plains or in, the, in the, where you would grow crops. The sheep were animals that would graze on hillsides or back where nothing could, you know, uh, nothing could grow. You couldn't farm. So there would be sheep herders, and the sheep herders were generally nomads. They were uh, single men who would take care of sheep and they would go out for months at a time and watch the sheep. And sometimes there would be three or four or five of them get together and bring their herds, their, their flocks of sheep together, and that they would watch over their flocks and they would do different shifts because you couldn't stay up 24 hours a day to watch them, and animals and robbers would come. Robbers, <laughs> I never realized this either, robbers would come and prey upon the sheep when it was time to shear them because that's when your money is. So they would steal the sheep, shear their wool, take their wool, and let them run. So that's whenever the shepherds had to be most uh, on guard for robbers, was whenever it's time to shear the sheep. And then, of course, predators were always wanting to, you know, they liked, they liked lamb for supper. So predators would always be there trying to take care of or kill the sheep. So shepherding then developed only in certain areas of, of, the, of Europe and of those, of those uh, Middle Eastern countries because it had to be places where cattle couldn't graze and where nothing could be grown. And so they would be shepherds who were out taking care of their sheep. Uh, sheep can feed on rough pasture, which is unsuitable for cattle, for agriculture, and anything else. 
And whenever we think of how that uh, sheep were taken care of, they were just basically grazing. And if you, if there's books out about sheep and shepherding and things like that, but sheep are really dumb animals. <laughs> sheep are really dumb because they can just wander off. They can just wander off and, you know, get lost. <laughs> and they were, they were no one to be found. So the shepherd then was in charge of this. And we would see with David how that um, he would watch over his sheep, and that's where he perfected his art of, with the slingshot, killing animals, killing birds, you know. If you were, if you were a kid out uh, watching sheep, uh, the, the scripture says that they were, what were they doing with their flocks? Wiling their flocks. Do you know what wiling is? Just fiddling around. <laughs> they were just out watching their sheep. You know, if you've ever, you know, it's, it's watching animals is like watching grass grow. It's really boring. I mean, you can sit there and you can watch grass grow. Did it grow any? I don't know, but I'm watching it. <laughs> and so they, the shepherd then was in this place of out watching his sheep. And so we have here, often the Bible tells us, though, of extraordinary shepherds. The Bible tells us about extraordinary shepherds. David, the shepherd king of Israel, he had cared for his people just as he had cared for his sheep. And when he was a boy, the shepherd in the field outside of Bethlehem, David, it was there that he was able to see how of his care for his animals was translated into how that God cares for his people. It was there that he was able to see God's care and how that he would watch over his sheep is how that God would watch over his people, you and I. And so that's where the 23rd Psalm has the analogy between the Lord is my shepherd. See, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. The, the responsibility of the shepherd was to make sure that the sheep were taken care of, to make sure that they were protected, to make sure that they had water, to make sure that they were um, <laughs> protected from the animals, and that they had pasture land to eat. If you've ever been you know, in the Middle East in those countries, it's like they're grazing on rocks. <laughs> you know, I looked out and you see these animals, and there's no grass. Like, we have grass growing everywhere, you know? But over there, it's, it's I mean, it's terrible. You, you can't, there's no grass anywhere. It's like, what are they eating? <laughs> and the shepherds, though, were responsible to take them to different grazing pastures and to, to, to uh, make sure that they were taken care of. Cattle can't graze where sheep would graze because it's on these hillsides and cliffs and whatever. And the shepherd, what did he have? He had, you know, in the 23rd Psalm, it says that... Um, and then David says the good shepherd, the gospel of Jesus, was that he would lay down, he would know his sheep, and we are known by him, and that the sheep know his voice. <laughs> My mom, whenever we had, we had cattle, she, would, she had them all named, you know. All the cows were named, you know, the black and white ones. They were white with black spots, black with white spots, and some were white and had little black spots, and some were black and had little white spots. And my mom knew them all by name. And my mom could call them. Me, cows, come here. 
Come on in, you know. My mom, she knew them all by name, and they all had their own stanchion. They all had their own feed trough. Can you imagine trying to be able to call a sheep by name? And the shepherd knows his flock by name, and whenever they would put these sheep together in a pen, you have four or five shepherds, and all their sheep would be in one pen, the shepherd would stand at the opening and call his sheep, and only his sheep would come out of the flock. Do you call your kids and they don't come? <laughs> Have you ever been a kid and called and didn't come? How about that? You know? Why? Because, well, you know, you, can't you hear? Well, I heard, but I wasn't coming, you know. But the sheep were animals that were able to hear the voice of their shepherd, and they wouldn't follow another shepherd, and we see how that God is, and now the analogy goes on as we think of shepherds and we think of sheep, and we think of being called, and we think of responding, and as God is presented as a shepherd, that he is the shepherd of his flock. And so when we're looking at this, who is God speaking to? Who is this announcement made to? It's God making this announcement to whom? To shepherds. Shepherds had their staff. You ever, you, you ever see these hikers? They have these, they have these like poles. And, they, and they're, well, they're for balances. They're going up cliffs and so on, and they're walking these trails. Shepherds had a staff. And the staff of the shepherd was for balance in these rugged areas. It was also, this staff was a long pole that, you know, you see people fighting with poles and whatever and sticks. Well, the shepherds would use it for balance, for protection, and then, of course, the crooked edge, the, t- the crooked top. That was for reaching over and grabbing hold of your kid. (laughs) And grabbing hold of the sheep and pulling it up out of a place where it had somehow gotten into and couldn't get out of. So Jesus, the divine shepherd, so we start putting the analogies together here. We start seeing then how that God is at work and that God is there protecting, guiding, rescuing and watching over his sheep. So the shepherd then is the perfect person to whom angels should be declaring or are declaring this message. So on the night Jesus, that his life began in this world, a process was set in motion leading to the day when he would lay down his life for the world. For he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the shepherd who watches over his sheep, you and I. So, an angelic visitation to shepherds in Bethlehem, men who understood feeding and guiding and saving, would be the best way his birth should be announced. And so we have the announcement of God to the shepherds. But I came across this story about the parable of the shopper. (laughs) Some of you have been shopping yet? I think you'll like this story. It says, this is the lady and the author is unknown. And she says, my feet were tired. My hands were cold. My arms exhausted from the weight of the packages. And it was beginning to snow. The bus was late. I kept rearranging my packages, trying to hold them in different way in order to give my poor arms a rest. I still remember that day as if it were yesterday. 
and yet 15 years have gone by. Nevertheless, when Christmas rolls around, I remember that day on the bus. I was tired. I had been Christmas shopping all day long. When the bus finally arrived, it was packed with holiday shoppers in the same exhausted mood as I. I sank into the only vacant place near the back by a handsome gentleman. He politely helped me to situate my packages and even held some of them himself. My goodness, he said, did you leave any merchandise still in the store for the rest of us? I don't think so, I moaned. Worst of all, I still haven't made all of my purchases. The woman in the seat behind us joined in in the grief and, the, and added, No, the worst thing is the day after Christmas, we will be carrying the same armload back to the store to exchange it. Her comment brought a general chuckle from all those within earshot, including my seatmate. As the laughter subsided, he began in a quiet, melodious voice, deepened with experience to teach me a lesson that I have never forgotten. Hear now, he said, the parable of the shopper. Speaking gently and indicating my packages, a woman sent forth to shop. And as she shopped, she carefully planned. Each child's desires were considered. The hard-earned money was divided, and the, many and the many purchases were made with pure joy and delight that is known only to the giver. Then the gifts were wrapped and placed lovingly under a tree in eager anticipation. She scanned each face as the gifts were opened. What a lovely sweater, said the eldest daughter, but I think I would like blue. I suppose I can exchange it. Thank you for the CD player, mother. I just want, I, it's just what I wanted, said the son. And then aside, secretly said to his sister, I told her I wanted the one with the automatic reverse and the other automatic buttons. I never get what I want. The youngest child spoke out with spoiled honesty of her age. I hate rag dolls. I wanted a china doll. I won't play with it. And the doll still in the box was kicked. The doll still in the box was kicked under the couch. One still lay under the tree. The woman pointed it out to her husband. Your gift is here. I'll open it when I have time, he stated. I want to get the bike put together first. How sad it is, continued his soft, beautiful voice. When gifts are not received in the same spirit they are given. To reject the thoughtful gift is to reject the loving sentiment of the giver himself. And yet, are we not all, all sometimes guilty of rejecting? He was still, excuse me, he was talking, but not only to me, but to all those who were on the bus. They had all gathered around, for you see, the bus was parked. He took a present from my stack. This one, he said, holding it up and pretending to open the card, could be to you. He pointed to a rough-looking teenage boy in the worn denim jacket and pretended to read a gift card. To you I give my life, lived perfectly, as an example so that you might see the pattern and live worthy to return and live with me again. Merry Christmas from the Messiah. This one, he said, holding up a pure white present, is for you. 
he held it out, he held out the gift to the worn looking woman, who in early years must have been a real beauty. She read the card out loud and allowed her tears to slip without the same, without the shame, um, to slip without shame down her painted face. My gift to you is repentance. This Christmas I wish you to know for certain that though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, signed your advocate with the Father. That isn't all. No, here's a big red package. He looked around the group and brought a ragged, unkept little child forward. This package would be for you if he were here. The card would say, on this Christmas and always, my gift of love is to you. From you, from your brother Jesus. One final gift, said my seatmate. The greatest of all the gifts of God, eternal life. He held, out, he held our minds and our hearts. We were a hungry audience. Through our shopping, though our shopping had left us drained, and now we were being filled with his words, how we received these gifts, these precious gifts from the babe of Bethlehem is the telling point. Are we exchangers, he asked. Is there really anything else we would rather have? It is what we do with the gift long after we have opened it that shows our true appreciation. With those words, he was gone. That was 15 years ago. Only a wink of time. But not even eternity could erase those moments from my mind. We have an announcement to shepherds. We have an announcement to shoppers. And we have an announcement that comes to us. There's a song that I like to sing at Christmas. And it's called Angels We Have Heard on High. And that chorus is Glory in Excelsis Deo. And it, it's Latin for Glory to God in the Highest. And you know where that song, that song basically came from was in southern France on Christmas Eve. There was a custom of shepherds out on the hill and shepherds on one side of the mountain would sing and the other shepherds on the other side would respond. And so as we have the announcement of shepherds in southern France in the late 1800s, would sing this song, and they would sing it back and forth, and it is from this song that we have another song, Angels from the Realms of Glory, which we even sang today. It is from this ancient, earlier song, Angels We Have Heard on High, came this song, Angels from the Realms of Glory. So the carol seems to be left to be an 18th century origin, a carol from which people were used to singing as shepherds from one mountainside to the other. Shepherds. In a divine moment, God came that night and changed their lives forever. And shoppers on a bus had a proclamation that changed their life forever. And here we are, individuals, 
in a sanctuary in Wimber hearing a divine message that will change our life forever. And who were they, those early shepherds? They were just people, loners of a society that were out taking care of their flocks at night, whiling away the night, watching over their sheep, but yet not paying attention because it was a long night, as was every night, watching sheep sleep and graze. But here we are in our pasture, hearing a divine message that will forever change us. And what makes us different than the shepherds? Very little. What makes us different is that we are here, and they are there in history. But that night, everything changed when they heard the angels say, go and find a baby. You're going to find the baby wrapped in a blanket and laying in a stone-hued manger. That child is going to change the world. And here we are at Christmas, and we hear the same message given to us. And the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and says, this message will not only change your life, but will change the world. Shall we stand? (laughs) A message given to shepherds, a message given to shoppers, a message given to us. Father, we thank you for the message of life that is given to us. And it can seem so routine. It can seem so insignificant because it is such a familiar message. But God, it is a message that is one that will be spoken of for an eternity because it is a message that speaks of your coming. Come into our hearts, O Lord, Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. Come in, Lord. Forgive us. Empower us. Let us hear your words of of encouragement and of faith in this life and in the life to come. Thank you, God, for the promise that speaks of our forgiveness, that speaks of your presence, that speaks of your love. Let us, O God, go forth and proclaim that message to those we hear that there is one born in the city of David, and he is Christ the Lord, and it is this Christ born at Christmas that changes our world. Let us, with strength and power and faith, proclaim that message. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.